Welcome to the Chasing Presence podcast, co-hosted by Santiago and Mike. This is a space where we share our insights for how to live a more spiritually aligned life. Join us on our journey to expand consciousness, live with purpose, and awaken to our true nature. Today, we are joined by a guest, Ellie Rome. Ellie is a certified health and emotional eating coach, breathwork facilitator, yoga teacher, leader of the ATX Wim Hof Group, and founder of Comfort Zone Retreats. Ellie was a former chemical engineer who became a health coach after healing health issues and recovering from sugar addiction and binge eating. She realized that one of the roots of addiction was a deep desire for connection and community. She started leading Comfort Zone Retreats to help people completely unplug in nature and create lifelong community through doing hard things together. Ellie, welcome to the show and thank you for being here today. Thank you. Thank you, Santi. Thank you, Mike. I'm so happy to be here. Likewise, likewise. I think one of the places that we want to start is kind of going back to before you started this whole path of coaching and leading retreats and getting into the world of health and wellness and spirituality. I know you were a chemical engineer and my understanding is that you were dealing with some challenges on your own. So if you kind of just bring us back to that time and what life was like for you and then what kind of spurred that change? Yeah. So yeah, I went to school for chemical engineering. I went to LSU and that choice was really out of, I didn't even know what a chemical engineer was. I just, I was good at math and science and I thought that was a good job. I think under like thinking back, I think a lot of it was for like something my dad would be proud of. I never really, really sat with myself and was like, what do I want to do? I just was, I had an intention to go to med school and there was like a fear in me that for some reason if I didn't get into med school. I didn't want to just have like a biology degree. So anyway, so I became a chemical engineer, was in school, ended up getting on Adderall and Vyvanse in college. Um, I'd been diagnosed ADHD when I was little, but my parents never wanted to put me on medication, which I'm so thankful for. And then um, they, but I did get on it in college and then was just kind of in this singular focus, not really pausing to ask like, what am I doing? Why am I doing it? And it wasn't really until college. So at the time I was still, I was like you mentioned, I was a sugar addict. I was using food to cope. I didn't know I was doing that, but I was, and I would just binge eat so much when I was stressed, when I was emotional, when I was lonely, tired, cold, like I just would reach for food whenever I was uncomfortable. And it didn't catch up with me until my I like end of freshman year of college and I started developing thyroid issues. I started gaining weight, I was losing hair, the like horrible brain fog. And that that was a lot of my ADHD, I think, was from a lot driven by the foods I was eating when I was little too. But um just like all these symptoms, I was getting numbness in my fingers and my toes. I went to six different doctors. I was having gastro issues. Six different doctors, none of them asked me what I was eating. None of them asked me if I was stressed. None of them asked me if I had friends. Like it was, here's a pill, try this. We don't know what's wrong with you. Here's a pill, your blood work looks fine. And I was just like, I am not fine. I was, I'd gone from this hyper, like enthusiastic kid who could not sit still to somebody who did not want to get out of bed in the morning. Like everything felt so hard, I had no energy and so I finally went to a holistic practitioner. She was the only one that asked me what I was eating. At the time, I thought I was doing pretty well, but I found out so many food sensitivities and just things I was eating that were wreaking havoc on my body. 
And long story short, changed my diet. That was like the spark to where I like, that was my spark into waking up. I was like, like, oh, why? Like I started asking like, why am I reaching for this? Then it was like, why am I reaching for my Adderall? And I got off Adderall and I got off all stimulant medication. And that was like one of the hardest things I ever did. And after that, it was like, shit, I don't like this job. <laughs> like Adderall made me think I loved whatever I was doing because I, you know, it's, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to shame anybody that's taking it. It can be so helpful, but I was abusing it. I was like taking it all the time. Um, just very quickly addicted for me. And so getting off of it, realized like, what am I doing? And I had this passion that was coming through. Cause it was like, when I was an engineer for about, um, I had done, I'd gone into like a very like paleo ancestral diet, very strict. And I felt all my symptoms went away. I mean, I felt amazing. And I was, I became obsessed. I became obsessed with the research, with sugar addiction. I had done a whole semester just on a research project on sugar addiction. And I just was like, I love learning about it. And so in, as an engineer, I started, I became a health coach. And then I started growing my business on the side for two years. And then I got to a point where I could quit. And so I'll pause there because I just spoke a lot. Awesome job for like getting through that and and sharing your story with us. I just want to say, you know, um, I was also an engineer throughout college. I was an electrical engineer. I was also addicted to Adderall. I would take Vivance in the morning and then take an additional Adderall and then finish that off by smoking weed and binge eating. And I did that for about like two to three years throughout college. Um, and oh my God, it was... I just knew they was so bad for me, but I could not stop at that time um, because I just, I had no perspective. I didn't think that things could be any different. I was just like, this is just the way reality is. Um, and yeah, as soon, it, it took me actually like five years afterwards. Well, I quit Adderall, but then it took me five years afterwards to quit weed. And then when I did, when I got sober, I realized why am I doing this job? So I feel like we definitely have like similar paths in, in that aspect. And, and I'm just wondering, um, so you said that, you know, the main thing that allowed you to wake up and kind of like, in a sense, unplug from the matrix is changing your diet. And I'm just curious as to what you were eating um, when you were, you know, had this like massive brain fog and what you switched it up with. Yeah. So what I was eating was I would like try to be healthy based on, I mean, this was like nine years ago. So things like paleo and whole 30 and, um, just that it wasn't very prevalent, especially I was in Mobile, Alabama. So that was like unheard of. So I was eating, or actually I was at LSU, I was in Baton Rouge. So still unheard of. Um, but I was eating things like wheat, wheat bread, low fat yogurt. Um, and that would be like during the day, like a lot of like beans and cheese and, um, like, like wheat quesadillas, just like stuff that I thought at the time was like a healthier option, but realized so much of it. So the, the main triggers for me were gluten, grains, dairy, soy, and a ton, just like refined carbohydrates, sugar. So I could like eat relatively healthy during the day, but then at night, because my blood sugar was all over the place during the day from like wheat bread or something, at night I was just like binging on chocolate and Hershey kisses. And then I went like gluten-free, dairy-free, soy-free, egg-free for three months. But I was still eating a bunch of 
garbage. I was eating like gluten-free brownies and gluten-free. I was like, this is easy because it was just, it's still a bunch of junk food though. And then it wasn't until I really like went to a whole foods, like meat. Um, so I started eating, I did basically the whole 30 for 30 days. I failed the first 24 hours, ended up binging on a box of these enjoy life brownies. And then I was like, okay, I got to do this. And I committed and I, for 30 days, like all I ate was basically, yeah, meat and vegetables, suit, like very limited and, and fruit. And my whole, I mean, my whole, like the first two weeks were awful. I felt hungover and I was eating a ton of sweet potatoes and a ton of bananas to like get through the sugar withdrawal. But then after those 30 days, it was like my, it was like this veil lifted. I had so much energy floating went away. I, um, so I guess to answer your question, I was eating more of like a standard American diet things, um, a lot of wheat and grains. And then I went to a very like paleo ancestral strict whole 30 style diet. And then after those 30 days, I never went back. I mean, I added in some like dark chocolate here and there, or like some like on holidays doing like paleo fied baked goods or stuff. But for the most part, just just eating meat and veggies. Yeah, for me, I can, I can relate to that too a lot. I didn't, I didn't do too much of the Adderall thing. I did a little bit of that in college, but I did suffer from severe depression when I was younger for about a decade. And I had never known, no one had ever told me that your diet, you know, there's this gut-brain relationship and the food you eat causes chronic inflammation and that inflammation goes to your brain and can cause chronic depression. And so I just didn't have that roadmap, but eventually I changed my diet as well. And I've experimented with various diets and the one that's worked the best for me has been paleo as well. So just, or a modified paleo diet, I do eat some grains and that moved the needle so much in terms of my mental health. So definitely makes sense and, and completely understand um, that part of your journey. I do want to switch gears just a little bit and go into kind of that shift from when you quit your nine to five, it sounds like you were building up your business on the side as a side hustle. And then when it generated a certain amount of income, you decided to quit your nine to five and jump full on into um, the world of coaching and, and being an entrepreneur. So I have two questions related to that. And one of them is a little bit of a selfish question. And the other one I think is, is more generally relatable. So the first part is, is like, so for me, I've been dabbling in this world of like building a personal brand a little bit, not fully committed. I've considered doing coaching, but I have certain limiting beliefs around, well, how would I get a client? How would I get my first client? How would I make enough money doing this that could support my lifestyle? So my first question is, what was your mindset related to that? And what advice would you give people like myself who are struggling with that aspect? And then the second question is, did you have any fear when you finally made that leap? And what was that mindset and journey like for you during that point? Yeah, these are such good questions. Okay, so first question you said, what would advice do I give to somebody who's scared about like, how are they going to get their first client or how are they going to build a clientele? Is that what you're saying? Exactly. exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So for me, luckily I went to a coaching program and we did a lot of practice coaching with like, um, they had a, they gave us a structure. It was very general. And then I had such a, I just like had nerded out on like paleo and sugar addiction. So I kind of applied it to their framework, but as far as like getting clients, so we did practice clients and then I started doing like within the program and that was like baby steps. It was all baby steps. So then the next thing was doing a couple friends for free, you know, offering them coaching. So I did a 90 day program. I still offer, I still offer a 90 day program, but offer a 90 day program. And yeah, just um, sometimes when it's just like, I mean, it is scary to ask somebody, but 
to start out doing it for free. And then, and then I only did like two free clients and then I did like a very low price point and just would ask, like, I think I coached my aunt for like $300 or something. Like, um, it was just like people I, I knew and I started offering and it was so scary at the time, but it was just like slow, slowly built confidence as I got clients, I became more confident myself in the results. And then they would like referrals happened. I started posting on Facebook and I would leave these like workshops around town and teach. That was like probably the, in the beginning, the biggest way I got clients was doing, I taught a workshop called kick the sugar habit at these like different yoga studios. I lived in Mobile, Alabama and people that would like build trust with people because they would get to see my expertise and especially if it's something that you went through, it's just like so nice for to have like to see somebody that's like gone through something you're struggling with. Um, and so that like built trust. And then I would do an offering at the end and let people know I'm a coach. I do one-on-one coaching. And so it was a lot of talks in the beginning, just getting in front of people. And it was scary. I like, I would be like shaking, but just like with time, just getting over that fear by doing. Yeah. And then the second part to it was, yeah, that's, that's great. I have just the sound of that just gives me anxiety, like leading workshops and public speaking. Um, we can get into a little bit more of that later, but the other part too was when we finally made that jump and said, okay, I'm quitting the security and comfort of this nine to five job that gives me a stable paycheck and I'm going into this, you know, full gear, just completely diving into this new world where I'm going to be, you have to be self-reliant. Well, I mean, what was that like? Did you have any reservations? Did you have any like hesitation in doing that? Or were you just fully on, on board with that? I mean, I was definitely scared for sure. It's mostly, I, I knew in my heart that I really wanted to do it. It was more so the fears were around like, am I going to disappoint my parents? Am I like, um, yeah, is this going to fail? But I had this like, Sometimes I just have these, like, I'm sure we all do this, like, deep knowing, like, you're gonna, it's gonna be okay. And I, I just felt I had had the goal before, before I quit. I remember I made a video at one of the health coaching, they had like conferences, and I made a video. I was like, I'm gonna quit my job before I'm 28. And I did. I quit, I was like six months before that. And so that was really, um, I think it was in my heart, I just knew I was ready. And I ended up, I wanted it. I almost quit one day. I was just like, I just want to, I just want to do it. And I, and I, I'm glad I didn't. Cause I wanted to go through just, I had like six more weeks of um, just making sure more ducks were in a row. But you know, there's never a perfect time. I, I would say to anybody, like, it's not like I had a million dollars saved or anything. It was just like, this, like I was at the point where I had two full-time jobs. Like I was, I knew my performance was suffering at my engineering job. And it wasn't to the point where like I would get in trouble or like be fired by any means, but like for my own standard. And so it was creating a lot of guilt within me because like I had been like, just like a game, like I don't want to show up at work. I like was in love. I, I thought I was, you know, passionate about the job, but then I, all that energy started going to health coaching. And so it was just like, I didn't feel good about it. Like being at work still, because all of my, I, all I wanted to do was coach. So Yeah. I hope that answers. I mean, I did definitely have tons of fear, but just trust and surrender. And the, every time I would just be like, if this doesn't work, I mean, I can always go I have a degree. I can go, I can go back. I bet they'd hire me. Like, even though in my heart, I was like, I'm not. Doing that. <laughs> That's awesome. So I, I see here that you're also, that you've started an ATX Wim Hof group. Um, so I guess the next question is, you know, 
what inspired you to start this group? And uh, if you can tell us about your journey and how you have used Wim Hof to help you along that journey, that would be awesome. Yeah. So I didn't know anything about Wim Hof breath work. I don't even think I've ever done real breath work. Maybe like one yoga class I had done it. But I went to a Joe Dispenza conference. I don't know if y'all are familiar with Dr. Joe. I went to you know just a, Yeah. I went to just a one-day event in Houston. And I'm sitting next to this guy. His name was Chris. And he lived in Austin. I had just moved to Austin. And I was like, I had just this urge to jump in cold water. I don't know where it came from. It was just like this deep urge. And I was like, do you want to wake up at like 5 a.m. and go jump in Barton Springs when we get back? And he was like, yeah, let's do it. So then we met up. He brought a friend. And they taught me the Wim Hof breathing method that morning. And I was like, what is this? I was like, can we do this every week? And so we started just meeting up every week. And we would do Wim Hof. And I started doing it on my own. And then I was like, I want to start a group. <laughs> and it was just like this, it wasn't, I had no, I had no like, like ulterior motive other than I just want to be around people that like doing this stuff, like that are into breath work, that are into like, who want to get up early. Um, and I just posted on meetup and people started coming and it just and then it, and at first it wasn't the routine. Like it, now it's become this like like a ritual. We do meditation, yoga, breath work, and then we cold plunge or ice bath. But in the beginning it was like, I was just figuring out a flow. I was like, we did like gratitude journaling. I was a yoga teacher. So I, I did teach some yoga, but it just evolved. It's like, it evolved and it grew with me. And I used to play, I mean, I wasn't certified as breath work. I had just learned about Wim Hof. And so I used to play Wim Hof's, uh, the recording until one day at, at Barton, they told me I couldn't use amplified noise. So I had to lead it. And that was the universe that was like, your turn, you go lead it. You've done this enough. And then, so I led it that day. And then I think the next week, like my speaker broke. So I had to lead it again. It was just like, and I was like, and then I just started leading it. And then I ended up getting certified in breath work and, and now I've learned different modalities and lead that here. And then the Wim Hof group just kept growing. And it's become all, it's just like a family and it's my favorite thing. So, yeah. So I've been to, to one of those um, ATX Wim Hof group meetups. And I've also seen you at some other events where you've led um, breath work and some other things as well. And one of the things I noticed about you is that when you're leading these things, you're very present and in the moment. And I sense a lot of authenticity from you, like your heart is in it. And that to me is like a sign that you're very aligned with like your purpose and you love what you do. And it almost seems like you're a natural leader. Now, I don't know if you would agree with that or not. Is this something that you've worked on over time? Or is it just something that comes naturally to you to like lead these workshops, lead these, you know, retreats and all these other things that you do? Yeah, I think, I think it's a both. I think, I mean, even when I was little, I feel like that was the role I would take a lot in school. But I, I definitely use like, it's gotten easier over time. I feel like the more I lead, the more I feel comfortable leading. And so it's like easy to just like start groups and it's like, I love, I just love people and I love building community. And like, so I think it's just, um, I think it's both. It's definitely been a skill. Cause I remember my first yoga class I led, I used to teach bar three fitness also. I remember being so nervous for those classes. So I think it was just the consistency. It was like, that was such good training for public speaking of just like teaching like fitness classes just cause it's constantly getting up there. For me and for bar three, it's like a bunch of women who are like, just I feel like 
I just felt like I had to perform or like be on for them. And so it was good. It was just showing up like multiple times a week in front of people. And it's just like this conditioning to where it becomes a lot easier. Awesome. So speaking of um, like discomfort on your website, I see that you have something called the discomfort curve. And I'm very interested to hear uh, like how, so first of all, did you, did you make this curve or is this something that is, um, you know, accessible on the internet? I drew that one. Yeah. I'm sure that someone else has had the concept before. I'm sure I'm not original, but it was just something that came to me. I'm sure like reading something and I just drew it out. Um, I'm going to pull it up. I want to see what we're looking at. Yeah. It's uh, awesome. I, I, I was hoping that maybe you could like, you know, l- let's say, there's someone who has social anxiety or, you know, they're having some fear going into a public speaking event, for example, obviously there's the idea that, you know, if, first of all, if you hadn't had much practice in these situations that there's no avoiding the anxiety that comes with it. And the, the way I think about it now is that the anxiety is actually there to help you and actually put you in the moment. And if you have a good mindset and connection with that anxiety that it actually can serve as a beneficial thing to make you more alert and put you in the moment. Um, so I guess for someone who isn't very um, used to doing like these comfort zone challenges and maybe that, you know, they're not really good at managing their social anxiety or just anxiety in general, like how would you like break down this curve and, and, and show them how to create space between stimulus and response and kind of like lead them in a direction that's going to, Uh, help them overcome challenges and discomfort? Absolutely. So I I can even use an example like the social anxiety. So if you're looking at the curve, basically, if you start to feel socially anxious, I know for myself, I used to get such bad social anxiety. I used to binge drink to like in college would just would would get drunk before I even went out because I wanted to avoid that. So being in a social situation, if I was completely sober, that discomfort, that anxiety starts to build. And I can either in that moment notice myself going to go grab that vodka drink and noticing that that impulse and being able to like that's like the maximum point of that discomfort it's rising it's rising it's rising all of a sudden it's like can't handle this i'm gonna jump off i'm gonna go grab that drink and then the other choice is to stay on the curve it's gonna build a little bit more breathe into that anxiety see it honor it a lot of times for social anxiety i like to see it as like my inner child she's just nervous hold her hand, come back to like my higher self. You're okay. It's okay. Like we're fine. Ground into my feet, breathe and allow that discomfort to come back down. And so it's just like noticing that point of when the impulse to get off, the impulse to not sit in that discomfort, the impulse. So we do in the ice baths. Oh, I could jump out here. I could take a big breath because it's going to come down. Like it's gonna, everything's changing. It's calming down. So just like, can I hold it? Can I go for one more breath? And I mean, that it, it, it's for everything. That's how I overcame the sugar addiction, the, the binging. It was like, why am I reaching for this food right now? Oh, it's because I just got super stressed out from this email or like some something triggered me to want to go impulsively reach for this. So if I can pause and watch that and find my breath and calm my central nervous system again, like I can ride through all of this difficult conversations. Yeah. What do y'all think? Sounds like like breath is one of your main tools for handling and managing um, uncomfortable thoughts, emotions, um, you know, emotions and thoughts that rise to the surface, and you're working through that through your breathing. Um, do you have any 
specific types of breath work besides Wim Hof that you use, or is that the primary, is that in conscious breathing, the two primary uh, tools of breath work that you use? Um, I use a couple. Those are, those are two of my big ones for sure. I think in the moment, one I love is like any, really any counted breath, but I like five, five, seven. So it's a five second inhale, a five second hold and a seven second exhale. And you can do it in the moment of a trigger. You can do it. Uh, yeah. In the car before I like to do it. If I do have a craving or if I just notice I'm super scattered, it's just like five, five, seven, it really slows everything back down. And I think one of the biggest things for me is just like even just one singular deep belly breath in those moments, those triggering moments, because I notice I'm breathing in my chest. I'm not breathing all the way down. And I'm the energy is like I'm shrugging my shoulders right now. I know people can't see me, but it's like all up here. So then if I can just like big breath all the way into my belly and then let it all go, it's like, oh. Just one breath is such medicine, like one huge breath. So those are my, I think my go-to is five, five, seven in the moment or just one huge belly breath. Yeah. Do y'all use any in the moment? I use, um, I try to use four, seven, eight. Um, I try to couple the breath with, uh, you know, like I, I, I remember you said you were, you ground yourself earlier. So literally I try to feel my feet on the ground while I'm like consciously breathing at the same time. Um, I feel like just like feeling your senses using that kind of like getting out of your head is the best way for me to create stimulus and response because this is literally what I had to do when I was like quitting nicotine, weed, Adderall, like all of those stuff. And like, it, it's literally once you feel the urge, just feel it and like come into your body and stop thinking about you know, like what you need to do to alleviate it. It's, it's just, it's about like feeling it. And I think using breathing techniques is a way it's like, it's, I, I would say it's a way to alleviate the pain, maybe a little bit, I, I would say that the intention to alleviate the pain maybe is kind of um, not going to lead you in the best place. Because I think the whole point is that, you know, you kind of have to feel the pain, uh, in order to properly get through it. But sometimes if the pain is like, you know, too much, um, I would say breathing techniques is a great way to kind of like put yourself, uh, change from sympathetic to parasympathetic nervous system, for example. Um, and I find that, you know, there's four, seven, eight, Andrew Huberman recommends the, I think it's the uh, physiological sigh, which is the, um, you breathe in, and then you do a, another quick breath and then you do a long exhale, which is the same thing as I guess the, the five, five, seven breathing. So there, there's scientific proof that, you know, just having a longer exhale than your inhale is going to literally like calm down your stress levels in the moment. Yeah. And I think too, just to add on to what Mike said, like it's a matter of feeling those quote unquote negative emotions without identifying with them. So just bringing your awareness to them, realizing that that is not you and then realizing that they are always transient and temporary, like clouds in the sky, and then eventually they pass, and then you disidentify and disengage from them, but in a in a healthy way without trying to suppress them, right? Um, and some of the some of the tools that I've used too are like alternate nostril breathing, so you breathe in through one nostril, exhale through the other, inhale through that same nostril, you exhale through, and then you repeat that pattern. And then I've also used another breathing technique called walking breath holds, which is basically where you know if I'm going on a walk around the block. I'll inhale through my nose, hold my breath as I'm walking as long as I can. And then obviously, you know, it's an uncomfortable feeling. And then 
when I finally have to breathe, I only ex- I start breathing through my nose. And that is supposed to help regulate your HPA access, which is responsible a lot for the physiological and brain patterns connectivity that um, cause anxiety. And, and if you can regulate the HPA access, you can help to regulate your anxiety. So those are a couple of the ones that I use. But I am curious, you know, other than other than just breathwork, are there any other tools that you found to be very helpful for you in managing um, uncomfortable emotions, anxiety, maybe depression, any kind of like low energy, anything that is, um, you know, low vibration or that makes it hard for you to perform at a high level? Yeah, I mean, I think multiple things. One is like, a, this is still breathwork, but a deeper form of breathwork, like somatic release breathwork, which is, I don't, have you ever experienced the like more like holotropic, like longer sessions um, where you're really... I have not. No. Okay. Yeah. I mean, these are, these are deep sessions. So it's not necessarily in the moment, but it's, it, we build up so much stress in our body. Every emotion that we've felt that we haven't released or expressed, like that gets stored. The body remembers. And so what somatic release breathwork does, it's, it's moving a lot of this energy and that may sound like woo woo, but it's, it's allowing these emotions to come up to be processed can be very psychedelic. People have massive expressions. I, I started leading this about two years ago. And I mean, they're about hour-long sessions and it's doing deep work. I mean, it's the like anger held crying. Like so often we're told like, don't cry or, you know, anger is bad. And so just, it all gets stuffed down. And, and if it doesn't get expressed, it becomes repressed and then it manifests into depression or some disease in the body or it becomes some like we adapt to the to the exiled emotion that we didn't want to feel so we start creating adaptive patterning but if we actually allow ourselves to feel it and move it through it comes to go it comes to be released so in these sessions it's so I mean I've experienced it myself when I receive and then also just watching people in these sessions I mean there are they're like massive just unloadings and it's it's so cool what I mean it blows my mind every time that we can do this with the breath I mean I've seen it with psychedelics but it's like your breath is such medicine so anybody who's dealing with like deep states of depression or holding on to a lot of anxiety or like hard time forgiving themselves or you just feel like you're can't cry and you just feel like you need that release like try these longer forms of breath work they're really powerful and there's some amazing teachers that you can find online. I teach a Tuesday night class, but there's so many people out there now. Awesome. Yeah. So I think we want to segue into uh, talking about the comfort zone retreats that you lead. I know we recently just talked about the discomfort curve. Santi and I have dabbled with comfort zone challenges. I personally have done a thing where you lie down in the grocery store um, which, which is absolutely terrifying. Like every single time it's like some of the worst anxiety I've ever had. Um, and then afterwards you feel like, you know, you're a deity, you feel like you're on top of the world. Um, so, but I think the main point of comfort zone challenges is to not just gain confidence, but to kind of like establish a mindset where you realize you're trying to, you're training your subconscious mind to realize that like nothing really matters. And like all of these things that, you know, society says that you should be afraid of, there's no reason to be afraid of it. Um, so I guess the, the question would be what kind of comfort zone challenges would you recommend to somebody who's really trying to get good at being uncomfortable and, you know, getting to the point where they can, you know, public, like go into public speaking with a good mindset around their anxiety 
and just in any situation where they can trust themselves to deal with any uncomfortable situation? Yeah, I think um, one of the biggest ones that I believe in is, is ice baths. Ice baths and cold showers, cold exposure. Ice baths have changed my life. I recently, or a couple years ago, discovered some sexual abuse that had happened when I was little. And the ability to tell my parents that, like I didn't think I'd ever speak that out loud. And I give all the credit to about a year of doing ice baths to be able to sit and like face my parents and stare them eye to eye, like one of the hardest conversations I've ever had and be able to surrender into that. Like the ice teaches you to be this discomfort curve, to be able to like breathe into the external, like, or I guess it's internal and external discomfort and to watch your own mind and be able to just soften. So I think that's like number one, it's so accessible, cold shower, like to turn your knob to cold and just breathe through it and set a timer so that you're held accountable to meeting a certain time, I think is really helpful. Other things I think are when it comes to like public speaking, I think just doing it. So whether that's joining a Toastmasters group, joining a local public speaking, or people have like online public speaking groups that you can do to practice, doing Facebook lives, like that can be super helpful to public speak, like just go live and just watch, watch. Like I'll notice myself if I don't do it for a while and then I go Facebook live, like, oh my gosh, I have so much like afterwards I'm judging myself and I'm all this like vulnerability hangover. And it's just like, just watch it. It's just like, okay, but I can, I'm alive. I'm, I can ride through this. So I think just do, like daily practices, it's really just conditioning the mind. And then on our retreats, we do, we do a lot of like authentic relating. So you're basically speaking vulnerably in front of a large group of people, which most a lot of people have never done. I hadn't done it before I went on retreats. And it's changed me the way to realize that people, other people are going through what you're going through, that actually speaking vulnerability, like people say like, okay, like vulnerability is a strength, vulnerability is courage, like you'll connect more. But it's one thing to know that logically is another thing to actually f- feel that when you say something that you think is so shameful and to have people still love you and tell you like, oh my gosh, I feel that too. It's just like, oh, oh I can like, other people deal with this. I think I know for myself, I forget that so much of what I go through, I've been through is such a common human. It's just part of being human. So going into, you know, I think one of the big parts of the comfort zone retreats and from my understanding is obviously you're helping people get out of their comfort zone and express themselves in ways that they're not usually used to doing. Also experiencing physical discomfort. So you're getting that combination of both the physical and the psychological um, you know, what you said about the Facebook live videos definitely resonates because I started doing TikTok videos at the beginning of this year. And when I, before I started doing it, I had a lot of resistance, a lot of internal resistance to posting these videos. Everyone's going to see it. Like, what will they think? What if I get negative feedback? And then I just kind of started doing it almost daily. And eventually it just, the fear went away and it just became something normal that I do. So like the more that you do those things that are uncomfortable, the more comfortable you get being uncomfortable. And then eventually, if you do it enough, you know, to, to a greater extent, that discomfort goes away, almost, maybe even entirely, right? So like another example for me too was before I started doing jujitsu a couple years ago, I was I would get super anxious, like signing up for the gym and then like going to the classes. And now it's just like, I just show up and do it. Like it's, it's like, it's actually, I look forward to it. It's fun, right? So you can transform through doing these uncomfortable things. 
And then it sounds like another impetus, and correct me if I'm wrong for doing these retreats, is to give people a sense of like community and bonding and help people to connect with each other. You know, there are a lot of people who are feeling isolated and lonely. So, you know, for you, it seems like the way that you, because you mentioned, I think that you also dealt with, you know, feelings of like isolation and loneliness before in your life. So for you, it seems like you just created this community where you could connect with people, um, which is, I would say for most people, very difficult to do. Um, what advice would you give people who are like seeking a sense of community, seeking to find their tribe and are struggling to do that? I think going to, I guess one, like going, to, like putting yourself out. I know it can be so scary to go to a new group, but like to just flex that muscle, like you mentioned with jujitsu, like something that you're passionate about that lights you up to so surround yourself with people like that. And then if you don't have that around you, there's something like for me with Wim Hof, like I just wanted to be around people that, would wake up. So I created it myself. And so like build it, they will come. Like there are other people who are interested in what you're interested in. So if you're putting that, you know, if you're interested in self-development, if you're interested in whatever, like create a group, throw it up on meetup, like people will show up. It's so surprising. But, and if no one does, it's nothing against you, but it's like, there's nothing to lose. And yeah, I think it just with community, it really does take a lot to just put yourself out there, start going to go to groups, maybe commit to one or two a week. Every time I've moved to a new city, it's just been like, I've just had forced myself, even though I get so socially anxious too. And I go to a group, I don't know, but it's just like, you gotta, gotta do it to meet people. Definitely. Yeah. You have to take risks, right. And take initiative. You can't just sit on your couch all day and hope for results to come to you. You have to actually be the one to take initiative and then hopefully through that action, things will start to kind of, um, you know, go in your favor and you'll start to gain some momentum. So it's definitely important to take action and put yourself out there. And if there's no risk, there's no reward, right? Um, one of the other things I have a question for is, you know, you're doing all these different projects, you're leading these retreats, you're leading these, this ATX Wim Hof group, you're doing your coaching. How do you manage your time and energy? Well, this is one thing I'm constantly working on. Um, how do I manage my time and energy? I I think one of the biggest things is just like the foundations are so important. Like my sleep, my diet, like that stuff. I mean, I'm in bed most nights by nine, wake up at 4.35, but I have just such a boundary I've had to create because of my sleep, like if that's off, then I can't show up for the people that I need to show up for. Um, same with food. Like I'm so, and I don't say this to, to like toot my horn, but that's just something that it's just like, I know if I eat something that isn't going to serve my body, it's just like, oh, instantly I can feel it and it fogs me out. And then I'm in this cycle of like, dang it, why did I do that? And then that, it's like, that's stealing my presence. That's stealing my presence from, and I can like sit in it and watch it. But it's like, I don't want to give, have to, you know, I want my energy to be able to go to my creations and like people. And so if it's going to me trying to, not crave something like that. So it's just not worth it to me. So I think those two have been like the biggest for my energy is just like really prioritizing sleep and food. Um, but as far as like other energy, I noticed too, whenever I am doing something that I love, it's like an infinite energy. Like I'll wake up for Wim Hof, even if I'm like exhausted on Thursday night for some reason, or like the comfort zone retreats. It's like, I feel like I'm on Adderall all weekend because it's just something I'm so, I just lights me up so much. So it's like, 
I feel like there's boundless energy for things. If you're in alignment, I feel like there's just boundless energy. So I don't know if this is answering question because you asked about management. But yeah, just noticing if something's out of alignment or the like friends you have, like the, where are you giving your energy? What's asking those questions? Like what's draining my energy? Are the people around me, do I feel good after I interact with them? Do I feel good after this activity that I just did? Or do I feel like super drained? Like, is this really worth my time or could I be putting it towards something else? Awesome. I just, I just wanted to say, cause you said that you go to bed at nine and wake up at four thirty and five. Um, when did you start doing that routine? And I'm also curious as to what your entire morning routine looks like. Yeah. So I probably started that. I think, honestly, I think it was once I got off Adderall cause I, I realized I didn't have that as a crutch anymore. Like I couldn't just get four hours of sleep and be like, crushing it because I was running on stimulants so it was just like it became a necessity it was, I just realized like I just I'm not performing as well when I'm not well rested so and I love my mornings like, I'm just a really like I have always been a morning person like I love, I'd rather wake up at three than and just like have those like I love the dark hours I feel like that's where I get most focused done um but my morning routine typically looks like, like right when I wake up I meditate for at least 20 minutes. And then I usually then have coffee after that. And then I exercise of some form in the morning, just move my body in some way, yoga or running usually, or I just started lifting. Um, and then I journal some, I have usually quick journaling. That's something I'm working on too. Um, and and breath work. So meditation, that like chunk is meditation. And then I do Wim Hof breath work at the end. And then I'll go get my coffee. And I always like, I make myself do that before I have my coffee. I'm like, you have to meditate and do breath work at least some before you drink your coffee. Um, yeah. And then so some meditation, breath work, movement, journal, and coffee. And then I eat breakfast. That's, that's like my condensed morning. Nice. It, so, it sounds like the coffee is the reward for all the hard work that you did in, in the beginning. That's, that's kind of what I do as well. And I also, so I do the Wim Hof and meditation generally right next to each other. I do Wim Hof before meditation because I find that when I do it before, it actually helps place me into a deeper state of meditation faster. So I don't know if you ever want to like switch it just to see what happens. That's totally. generally what happens I love with me. That. Yeah. So it sounds like for, in terms of like managing your time and energy or, or rather cultivating it, right? Especially from an energy standpoint, it's like the fundamentals, you have your sleep obviously is probably number one, nutrition, exercise, then you're also filtering in these different spiritual disciplines like the breath work and the meditation. And then you're being very conscious about the time and energy, like what you put your time and energy into, the people you're around, the content that you're consuming and things like that. And all hopefully you're doing things that light you up, that way you're not trying to push through and like, oh, I need to get through this work day. I need to get through this activity. You're feeling pulled to do it to where it's actually energizing you. And then you're building off of that. So that sounds that sounds great. Um, I had a question specifically for, you know, you're a health coach, right? And you've dealt with your own challenges of diet and nutrition. And let's just say, what advice would you give to people who they're trying to improve their nutrition? They're trying to like get on an exercise program. And maybe they start it for a week or two, but then they fall back to, to not doing it. They fall back to eating unhealthy food. They fall back to not going to the gym to work out. And they're kind of just stuck in this cycle where they keep trying to get out of it and, and they're they're not able to break through. 
what advice would you give to, to, to them to help them, you know, break through to that level to where they can be consistent with eating a healthy diet. They can, you know, consistently get that exercise in and really transform their lives. Yeah. I think a big piece, I mean, number one thing, like accountability, some form of accountability and noticing like when on, like, especially around that time, whether it's a a couple weeks in that you tend to fall off, like where, how could you set up some sort of accountability system around maybe the two or three week mark where you're checking in with somebody. You can even find accountability cert person on like Fiverr. So if you don't want to hire a coach, like you can like, just like just somebody or get a friend, like some sort of accountability is so helpful. When we commit to something, if you want like 30 days or 60 days, like it just, it makes such a difference when there's some form of someone else that knows about your goal. Um, I think also, just chunking it down, the atomic habits I'm sure that I mean, just creating those those little habits and really working on your systems. Like, I think one of the biggest things is focus on your like the days that you're crushing it and like what was what was in place that helped you to crush it. Like, when on the days that you maybe ran to McDonald's or something, like to reflect and not to shame yourself for it, but it's like what was going on for me. And it's really developing self-compassion and and to be able to just like look at it objectively, like what was going on for me in that moment or that day? Was I exhausted? Did I not get enough sleep? Did I not pack a healthy snack and that I that I could prepare to like at 3 p.m. so I wasn't starving and ravenous and then ended up in that McDonald's line? Was I do I have was it because of stress? Was it because of boredom? Like what underlying root whys of like the those trigger points? Because usually it's just like these little domino moments that end up into a binge or end up into um, like a slippery slope. And then just resetting every day. It's just like that. It doesn't mean things are ruined. It doesn't mean like you have a binge, like relapsing is part of the process. So it's just giving, being having grace with yourself, but having that reflection time to be like, what was going on for me? What happened? What, what broke down in the system? doesn't mean I failed. It's just like, let's assess this and set ourselves up better tomorrow. It sounds like the best way to alleviate this situation is probably to journal about it because here's the thing some people can like have a conversation with themselves in their heads if they're real if they really understand themselves already but i say i would say for the majority you know the the abstract thoughts that they have running throughout their field of consciousness is not something that is easily graspable until it's put into a concrete state on paper um, so I would say when it comes to like reflecting about your day and about what went right, what, what went wrong, that journaling is probably the best way, the, the best form of reflection to do for, for most people. For me, I know that's the case. Um, when, I, I guess you could do it kind of like meditatively where you kind of like are thinking about the day. Um, but for me, it's just a lot more difficult. So I would probably, w- would you recommend journaling when it comes to um, like try, trying to break through and trying to understand why you're not breaking through. Absolutely. That's such a good point, Mike. And even having, yes, yeah, some sort of dedicated reflection time in your week of how did I do? Where did I fall from grace and what was going on in that moment and write it out? Yeah, absolutely. Cool. Um, another question I have is specifically about people who are trying to transition to eating healthier. Um, I'm currently eating very healthy, but I do know that there are potentially some foods that may be causing my uh, digestive system a little bit of discomfort. I don't really know what they are. A lot of people recommend that I do 
um what what like an elimination practice where it's like you take something out and then you wait a little bit and then you reintroduce that back in i would say that for the majority of people that is a little bit too intensive as a thing to to start doing on on a daily basis you know maybe for someone who's like um i would say very self-aware and very developed as a person and already very healthy that's something that is a good thing to do but i feel like for the majority of people who are really trying to motivate themselves to transition that is like the whole elimination thing is difficult so the thing i was going to ask is in terms of figuring out what is the best type of diet specifically for an individual what would what would you recommend that they begin doing yeah i think from a very generally, because we're all, we all have, there's so much nuance with everybody and we're, our bodies are constantly changing. Our stress state's changing. Our ability to digest certain things changes with the stress of our lives, the stress of our gut, toxin exposures, everything. So it's just like learning how to listen to your body. But I would say generally speaking, like to as much as you can eat foods that we ate, our ancestors ate. So as much, and I say real food, but things like meat, whole, like, fruit, vegetables. I mean, a lot of vegetables can even like people have problems with, but in the beginning, if you're eating like a standard American diet or on the beginning of your journey, like eat it, just focusing on that, like how much real food can I add to my plate and the way for elimination dieting, what's so important about that. And it can be challenging, but to, if you're able to commit to that, even like two weeks, three weeks, ideally is getting out the lowest hanging fruit, which is gluten, dairy, soy and industrial seed oils and processed sugar. So, I mean, I know that's a lot, but if you're able to do that, if you only take out gluten, like this is what I did. I was gluten-free for like six months and I did not feel any better. And it was because I was still eating so much other things that were causing inflammation. So I didn't like, yes, gluten was still a problem, but it was like, I didn't feel the benefits because I had all this other stuff causing things. So it's kind of like the reason paleo is such an awesome framework is it gets out a majority of like, the, the big players that are usually the most common and then you may feel amazing with that and just run with that and then you can add back in things and then you start noticing whoa oh I added back dairy like my skin's breaking out I'm, I'm super bloated I'm gassy whatever it is you can start identifying each certain food group but like or if you're and if you're already in that boat then or you're still having symptoms and you've done paleo for x amount of time then you may wean off some, like, this is me. I had, I still kept getting these eczema patches. And so I was doing autoimmune paleo and then I ended up doing carnivore for like eight months. And like within two weeks, my eczema went away. And so it was just like, it's just like treating your body like an experiment and learning. And I know it can be difficult, especially with like the sugar and the addictive part of food. And so that's why it's so important to have the, like to not only focus on diet, but it's also like stress management, learning the, the mindful eating tools, which is like, every time you eat to, to ask yourself, why am I reaching for this right now? And it not to be a shame thing or to deny yourself of the food. It's just starting to really build that awareness. Like every time food's about to cross your lips, if you can ask that question, like it's a superpower. Um, I, I, this is the last question I'm going to ask and then I'm going to let Santi get in. Um, but specifically with industrial seed oils, um, I have been avoiding them like the plague because I know that it's literally poison for your body and it causes inflammation. And I was calling a bunch of different restaurants because there's some days where I literally just don't want to cook. I just don't have the energy. I just want to go out there and get something. And I was 
calling healthy places, asking them what oils that they use. And even the healthy places, most times it's vegetable or canola oil. Almost every single time, very rarely is there a restaurant that offers like an olive oil alternative. And that is scary to me that like all of these restaurants just casually use this oil that's just causing inflammation for like everyone who eats out. And I guess, you know, for someone, have you run across like specific franchises or ways to avoid the industrial seed oils besides just cooking at home? I'm curious. Yeah, I mean, it is really difficult, like what you're speaking to. I think the biggest things, you can ask certain restaurants to cook your stuff in olive oil. A lot of them will modify, like especially like nicer restaurants. Like if you get a steak or something to ask that, or if you're going to get you know, on a salad to do like, they always have olive oil and vinegar, like that's, or you can add lemon and black pepper. Um, other things is like, instead of dressings like Chipotle using guacamole, unfortunately they use, they use some, I think canola on the grill for like the meat. Um, but it's just like minimizing the amount that you're getting in and then adding in more of that avocado. And cause you're getting at least some sort of more of a balance of those stable fats in your body. So it is like, it's hard when it, like the perfectionism, it can be so like to be a 10 all the time. And so what I focus on a lot with the, the people I work with is we focus on up-leveling, like yes, strive as much as you can. Don't you, don't eat the industrial seed oils, but like in the moment, if it's going to be, you know, if it's going to be that, or just like being like, screw it, I'm going to go grab a cheeseburger and a milkshake. Like it's okay to like get the grilled chicken at the restaurant that has a little bit of the the seed oil on it, like in for a one-off occasion. Um, so I think it's do the best you can. Like, and I love that you called the restaurants. That's so awesome. And I think people should absolutely like, be willing to ask because restaurants, a lot of times they want to serve, like they want to cater to you. They want you to be happy. And the more we like as a population start to ask for that, the more they may transition. So I think it's awesome to like absolutely do the best you can, but also to have the grace with yourself if you're not 100% perfect too. Yeah, and I agree with just just to echo again, like removing gluten, dairy, soy, vegetable oils, um, and processed sugars. Like I used to have eczema as well. I guess I still technically have it. Usually when I travel, I'll get it again because my diet's a little tweaked. But after I shifted my diet and started eating like a clean whole food diet, just all natural foods, modified paleo, like I rarely get eczema outbreaks anymore. So a lot of that is just autoimmune, right? Your autoimmune system and chronic inflammation. So just getting rid of those, the main things that you know are just straight up more or less bad for you moves the needle a lot in terms of nutrition. And then from there, you can kind of start to tweak it and like, oh, this food, maybe I'm sensitive to, you know, maybe I'm sensitive to nice shade vegetables because they have lectins and saponins, or maybe I'm sensitive to whatever it might be, right? And you kind of start to tweak it. But just that baseline removing the garbage that you know is really bad for you, that alone does so much just for your overall health. Um, and then I know we're a little bit short on time, but I had one more question before we wrap it up with the, with the last two. Um, you know, doing all of the things that you do, all these different projects, it requires a certain level of creativity, I'm sure. Do you have any advice or tools that you use to stimulate or expand your creativity? Yeah. I think the biggest tools for me are space, like creating space for myself to actually think when I'm like to just go, go, going all the time, like not really allowing that space for ideas to come through. So meditation is huge. Being in nature, running and exercise. Also, a lot of my creative downloads come when I am like, 
high on like my own um, exercise, serotonin and all that. Like I just, I get so much creation or creativity from when I'm moving or yoga, just like time for my mind to think. That's great. I love that. And before we have two more questions, but before we wrap it up, I just wanted to take a moment to acknowledge you, Ellie, for the initiative that you've taken in your life, the risks that you've taken, the courage that you've exhibited in kind of moving towards this path where you know, you're self-employed and having an impact on other people and for the communities you've been able to build and the impact that you've been able to have on the people who attend your workshops and your meetups and all the clients I'm sure that I've benefited uh, from the work you do with them. So just wanted to take a moment to acknowledge you for all of that. Thank you so much. It means a lot. Thank you. Of course. And last two questions. So if people want to follow you or learn more about your work, uh, what is the best way for them to do that? Yeah, they can connect with me on Instagram at Mindful Belly or Comfort Zone Retreats. It's at Comfort Zone Retreats on Instagram. That's probably the best way. I also have a podcast called Don't Eat Your Feelings with Mindful Belly if you're struggling with the sugar addiction and binge eating part of things. Um, just share some tools on there. Great. And the final question is, if you had one piece of advice to give people who are seeking to heal and grow on their spiritual journey, what would it be? I think practicing self-compassion. It's, it's a really big muscle to build and it's it's a hard one to build. I know for, for me at least. So it's just, um, it, so practicing self-compassion through, through just kindness to you, like speaking kindly to yourself, noticing if you're berating yourself, like, yeah, just really starting to notice your own self-talk. Great. Thank you so much, Ellie. We really appreciate your time today. Thank you so much, Ellie. Seriously. Thank you guys. This is awesome. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Chasing Presence podcast. If you enjoyed it, please spread the word by telling your family and friends and by sharing it on social media. You can also show us your support by leaving a review. Also, if you'd like to get in touch with us, our contact information is in the show notes. Please send us a message as we'd love to hear from you and get your feedback. As always, thanks again for listening, stay present, and have a great day.